Good evening, everybody. Great to see you. My name is John. I'm the campus pastor for RUF. Just glad to welcome you again to uh, our Wednesday night fellowship. This is something we do every Wednesday night. Um, some of you uh, ate before you came here. Don't do that. We got free pizza for you. Um, we also got some cookies that my mother-in-law made. Uh, they apparently are delicious. I haven't had one yet, but I've, there's lemon. Yeah. So there's that. I uh, hope you get some before you go. Uh, this semester, uh, we are looking. Um, uh, we're doing a sermon series uh, on the Lord's Prayer. See, when the disciples uh, sort of half ask, half tell Jesus, teach us to pray. What Jesus gives them and what he gives us is a pattern for prayer uh, in three parts. When we pray, we look up, uh, and then we look out, uh, and we look in. As we kind of go through this series, that will make a little bit more sense to you. But Jesus says, hey, when you pray, start by looking up. A connection comes before content. Right? Identity first. Know who God is. Know who you are uh, as you enter into uh, this conversation. Start with our Father. Uh, but don't stop there. And keep going. Say, our Father in heaven. And here's why it's good to get all four of those words. Our Father in heaven. In order to pray, you need to know some things about the one you're talking to. You need to know that he's good. You need to know that he's loving. You need to know that he's accessible. But you also need to know that he's both powerful and present. That he's our father who is in heaven. If he's none of these things, if he's not good, not loving, not accessible, not powerful, not present, well then there's really no point in praying. Why bother? But if he is all of these, if he is good, loving, accessible, powerful, and present, well, then prayer isn't just possible. Right? Prayer becomes powerful itself, and it becomes full of promise. Not just something that you have to do, but something that you actually want to do. Right? Not just a duty, but a choice. So lead with this, start with this, begin your prayers, our Father in heaven, or if you like, Our Father over all the skies, over the skies in Burlington, over the skies in Burundi, in Burma, Bangladesh, all over the globe. He's powerful. He's present. And to help you see this tonight, I want uh, to look at a passage from the Gospel of John. You may or may not know this, but the Bible is divided into two halves, roughly two halves, the Old Testament and the New And the New Testament begins with four books called Gospels. The word gospel just means good news. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are the good news about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And tonight we're going to look at the Gospel of John. A gospel written by a guy named John. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, 9 to 18. You can find them on a piece of paper, lying around, or up here. Also, in the free Bibles on the table. If you don't have a Bible, take one home with you. It's our gift to you. But here it is, Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, and then 9 to 18. It reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, 
who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John the Baptist bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who's at the Father's side. He's made him known. Pray with me if you would. Father in heaven, thanks for bringing us together tonight. Thanks for giving us your son. Thanks for giving us your word. We cry out for your spirit. We pray that by your spirit you would help us to see what we need to see tonight and to hear what must be heard, to receive, and to believe that we too might become children of God, members of your heavenly family. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we dive into this passage a little bit, um, I think a little bit of context is helpful might be wondering, who was the guy who wrote this? The guy who wrote this was a guy named John. He was a fisherman. Uh, he, uh, with his uh, brother James, were fishermen before Jesus called him and their business partner, Simon Peter, to come and follow him. They dropped their nets. They followed him. And from there on out, the three of them, Peter, James, and John, sort of were Jesus' best friends. They were sort of formed his inner circle. They were especially tight. Well, after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus... Jesus' disciples began to write down all that they had learned and discovered walking and talking with him. Getting this down on paper wasn't easy and it wasn't cheap. Uh, It was expensive, but the disciples thought it was worth it, uh, that it was important, that it really was good news, not just for them but for the world. And I think we can all be grateful that they put it down to the page. Peter told his story to a guy named Mark who wrote his gospel called Mark. Luke, the investigative journalist, interviewed a bunch of eyewitnesses, and he produced his own account. Matthew, a disciple of Jesus, did the same, and John did too. His gospel, which we're looking at tonight, begins with these words, in the beginning. In the beginning. If you look at verse 1 with me, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is not a fancy way of saying once upon a time. Okay, John is doing something very deliberate here and using these words and starting his gospel this way. He's starting his gospel the very same way that the the Bible begins, the book of Genesis. Here up on the screen, Kelsey, if you wouldn't mind putting this up, are the first five verses that you will read on page one of the Bible. If you open to Genesis 1, these are the first things that you will read. Uh, The other way. Yeah. There we go. Yep. Genesis 1 starts, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. The darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. You could go on and read from there, but this is how the Bible begins. And John starts his gospel 
with the same words in the beginning. As I said to you, he's being very deliberate. He's kind of like a rapper taking an old song and remixing it. Not unlike that. And what he intends to communicate is this. The story I'm about to tell you is not just a human story. The story I'm about to tell you is a God story. You see, the one who spoke the universe into existence stepped into it. The creator became a creature. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He moved into the neighborhood. This is the point that John is trying to get across in the short verses that we read tonight. God is both powerful and he's present. He's powerful and he's present. And these really are the two points of tonight's sermon. Simple, easy to follow. God is powerful, he's present. And we need to know both of these. We need to know both of these. Not at the middle of our praying, not at the end. We need to know that right at the outset. God is powerful. You can call it the Big Bang. You can call it the birth of the universe. But at a certain time in time-space history, most likely 13.8 billion years ago, God said, let there be light. And there was light. God said, let there be a universe. And there was a universe. Right? The universe was born. I want you to uh, imagine... Uh, but this water bottle right here in my hand is the universe, okay? Uh, and just for the sake of illustration, don't ever do this, only now, just for the sake of illustration, I want you to imagine me as God sort of holding the universe in the palm of my hands, okay? Here's a fun fact about the universe, okay? There are 10 billion galaxies in the observable universe, and every single one of those galaxies holds about 100 billion stars. 10 billion galaxies each with about 100 billion stars. Just to put this in some fresh perspective, there are multiple stars for every grain of sand on planet Earth. That's a lot of stars. That's a lot of suns. Okay? Uh, this water bottle represents all one billion trillion of them, okay? This is the universe. And that would put us a speck on a speck on a speck on a speck somewhere in the inside, okay? Here's an observation to make. Before this water bottle existed, right? Like God existed. God occupied a space that we would call heaven before the universe was born. In the beginning, John writes, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All that is to say there was a time when the universe was not, but God has always been. But when God the Father and God the Son said in unison, let there be light, there was light, and the universe uh, was born. A new thing, a new space called the universe, came into existence. Here's observation number two. God is not the water bottle, and the water bottle is not God. The universe doesn't contain him. The universe doesn't hold him, but he holds it. He holds it 
in the palm of his hands. Now, you can scour the universe for evidence of God's existence, but you're not going to find God in the universe, but you will find his fingerprints all over it. That is to say, there's ample evidence all around that God exists, that this is his handiwork. But don't expect to find him on some planet in one of those, circling one of those, I don't know, one billion billion stars. It doesn't hold him, right? He holds it. Observation number three. From heaven, which is where God resides, God can, like, speak into his creation. He can move things about. He can even enter into it. If he wants, but even when he's in it, he's not contained by it, right? He's not limited to his creation. He holds it, it doesn't hold him. Since God is the one who made the universe, okay, he knows how it works and he knows how it's supposed to work. He designed it after all. All things, if you look at verse 3 of your passage, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. What's more, right, because God made it all, he's Lord of all. He's master of all. He's in charge. He's in control. As one theologian famously put it, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who's Lord of all, does not cry out, mine. There's not a square inch in the whole domain of our existence over which Christ, who's Lord of all, doesn't say, that's mine. Everything, everyone, belongs to him. As Ron Burgundy from Anchorman said, he's kind of a big deal. He's kind of a big deal. All right? Well, let's land this plane. What does this have to do with prayer? Well, it has everything to do with prayer. Because the one that we encounter in Genesis 1... The one who we encounter when we read John chapter 1 is the exact same God that we are talking to when we pray. When we pray, we are entering into conversation with the one who spoke the universe into existence. Just think about that for a second. When we pray, we're entering into conversation with the one who spoke the universe into existence. That's a pretty important phone call, right? That's pretty awesome. But it gets even better than that. Because the one who created all things, the one who holds the universe in the palm of his hands, the one who sang galaxies into existence and knows them all by heart, the one who didn't discover the periodic table but invented it, The one who knows the tune to every humpback whale song that's ever been sung. The one who set the speed of light at 186, 282,000 miles per second. That's really fast, by the way. 186,282 miles per second. The one who clocked that speed. The one who knows the name and the life story of every human being who has ever lived and all seven billion something alive today, this one, okay, is the same one who says to you and says to me, hi, you can call me dad. 
when we pray, this is who we're talking to. The Lord Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, is, thanks to Jesus, our Father. He's Dad. He's our Father in heaven. Because He's not just a Father, but He's our Father in heaven, He can do far more than we can dare dream or imagine. When we pray, we're not talking to some middle manager. We're going to the boss who sits at the tippity-tippity top. The boss who also happens to be our dad. He's powerful. He knows how to get things done. He has the power to bring order out of chaos. He has the power to bring hope out of ashes. He has the power to bring life out of the grave. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And you know why? What, you know why the darkness hasn't overcome it? Well, it's because our dad is awesome. That's why. It's because he's the boss. He's the man. He's our father in heaven. That's why. Because God is our father, and our father is in heaven, you can rest secure knowing that the one you are talking to is bigger and better than whatever mess you find yourself in. Because, listen, we live in the midst of a beautiful but broken world. Horrible, gut-wrenching, and blood-boiling things happen on this planet every single day. And you know this, not just intellectually, you know this experientially. You know that evil and suffering are for real. But you know it's also for real? You know it's also true? The one who created the universe has the power to fix it. The one who made it knows how to fix it. Not only does he have the, the power to do this, he actually has the desire to. Not only can he do it, he wants to. He has the drive. Our hope as Christians is that the one who spoke the universe into existence also has the power to say to us in our graves, Honey, it's time to wake up. That's our hope. He has that power. And if you have put your faith and trust in Christ, you don't hope in vain. Because what we see in the pages of scriptures, the testimony that has been handed to us across generations, is that the one who spoke the universe into existence stepped inside of it. He left heaven for earth. He lived for you. He died for you. And he was raised from the grave for you. In this world, you will have tribulation, Jesus says, but take heart. I've overcome the world. That's in the Gospel of John, chapter 16. If you just read 15 chapters further on. In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 27 to 30, Jesus says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, 
and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given to them and who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I want you to hear that tonight for what that really is. That is your Father in heaven speaking to you right now. You will not perish. No one can take you out of my hand. And the reason why is because I'm greater than all. It's because I am powerful. It's because I'm your Father in heaven. You are safe and secure with me. I have two points tonight. First is our Father's powerful. The second is our Father's present. But frankly, the first of these points is the easier of the two to believe. Okay, the vast majority of people in the world believe in some creator God. Overwhelmingly, uh, the world's population believes in God. It's very hard to see the world and all of its beauty and intricacy and fine-tuning and call it an accident. I'm not simply talking about like sunsets over Lake Champlain. It's hard to be a serious student of mathematics, of science, of music, the human body, and to say it's all random. It's hard to do that. To say that it's all chaotic. I think on the contrary, there does seem to be some design to it, some order, some laws of nature instituted by something or someone. And most people in the world come to that conclusion, which is why human beings all across the world are overwhelmingly spiritual and religious. They intuit there is a creator. And they know that if the creator, if he's anything, is powerful. Most people believe that. What most people doubt is that God is present. For many, Father in heaven means Father far removed. Father in heaven means Father not on earth. Not in the mess that I'm in. Lots of people imagine that God has wound up the universe like a clock. Just to say, sure, it's fine-tuned. Sure, it's ordered. But God has taken his hands off of it. It's now just running itself, and God has left us all alone. Lots of people think this way, which is to say they believe that God is powerful, but they doubt that he is present. They wonder, is God close to me? Close enough to hear? Close enough to hear when I pray? And is he not just near? Is he dear? Does he see? Does he hear Does he care? Because if he doesn't, if he's powerful but but not present, why bother? Why bother? For these very reasons, Jesus says, look, when you pray, you've got to start with up. You've got to start by looking up. You need to know who you're talking to. You are talking to your Father in heaven Your Father who is over all the skies. There is nowhere that you can go where He doesn't see you. Because He's your Father in heaven. There is nowhere that you can go that He doesn't hear you. Because He's your Father in heaven. 
There is nowhere you can go where he can't penetrate into your darkness because he's your father in heaven. He sees you. He hears you. He knows you. He's present. He's powerful and he's present. And here's the proof. Look again at our passage, starting at verse 9. It says there, the true light which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Jump ahead to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And at the end, no one has ever seen God, the only God who's at the Father's side. He's made him known. You want to know? You want to be convinced in your inner soul? That God is both powerful and present? Well, I submit to you, Jesus. Look no further than Jesus Christ, because he is God with us. He's Emmanuel, who promises to be with us to the very end of time. See, from the very beginning, from the beginning, God has longed to be present with his people. From the beginning, God has wanted to be at home with his kids. When he formed mankind, he got his hands dirty, forming him out of the clay and then breathing breath into his nostrils. Now, this is poetic language to be sure, but it, convey, but it conveys an important truth. God is intimately involved with you. He's intimately involved with the affairs of mankind. And when we open our eyes, his face really was the first face that we were supposed to see. That's what that means. Now, when our ancestors sinned against God and they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden, when we sort of engaged in this game of hide and seek, us being the hiders, God being the seeker, the Lord God called to man and said to him, Where are you? Genesis 3, what we see is a father, a good and loving father, looking for his lost son. A good and loving father looking for his lost daughter. He's our father in heaven. He's our father in heaven looking for you too. Where are you? When Israel is enslaved in Egypt and they are the victims of grave injustice, the Lord says to Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cries because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians. I have come down to lead them into a land of milk and honey. I have come down to shepherd them into greener pastures. Jumping ahead, when we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to bend the knee to a corrupt government, and they refuse to worship false gods, and when they are thrown into the furnace for their faith, what does King Nebuchadnezzar see and declare? He says, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And the servants answered, true, okay. Well, he answers, but I see four men unbounded walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. 
And in the Gospel of John, we are introduced to the Son of God. The Word who becomes flesh. The Word who becomes flesh and blood. Who moves into the neighborhood. See, He walked and talked with us. He went to parties and He went to funerals. He ate and drank with sinners. And then He shed His blood so that we could be reconciled to God. Y'all, you want to know that you have a Father in Heaven who sees you, who hears you, and who cares? Look to Jesus. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father, he says. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Y'all, to know Jesus is to know the Father's heart for you. He says, look, look, listen, from now on, you do know him and you have seen him because you know and have seen me. He is good. He is loving. He is accessible. He is powerful and he is present. He is your father in heaven. Let's pray.